chime in. And I love that song uh, Cochran and Company sings, but you know, it's interesting because a lot of people might have a different way they would say or finish the phrase, I, blank, 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 church. I mean, there's probably a lot of different words that you could put between the bookends of I and church. I remember being a kid probably and saying to my parents, I don't want to go to church. Yeah, maybe you've used that one between I and church. Um, how would you complete that sentence? That's, that's kind of an interesting thing to think about because we've all had different experiences with churches. Sometimes it's not been so great. Maybe you're here today and you're giving us another, another try because maybe you had a bad church experience and you're like, well, I got invited, so here I am. Uh, we're going to talk about what it means, not, not just to go to church. While I like that song, there is some fundamentally things that are also wrong with the statement, I want to go to church, and we'll talk about that today. But today we're talking about uh, I'm in, a whole new series called I'm in. And today we're kind of launching it with a message called I'm in. That's just kind of how we're starting it, is I'm in. But we're going to talk about over the next several weeks what it means to say I'm in. What it means to say I'm in, when we talk about I'm in, that I'm in, I'm in to what God wants to do through a community of believers. I'm in. We're going to discover kind of four truths about who you are in Christ when you say I'm in over the next four weeks. We'll talk about how I am invited to God's family, how I am invaluable to God's work, how I'm influential to uh, God's glory and what he wants to do or those around me, and then I'm invested in his mission through the church. I'm invested. I'm in. I'm in. Perhaps that doesn't describe you right now. Maybe a better word for you is I'm out. I'm out. Maybe you kind of feel like that kid looking over a fence going, man, I wish I was in that neighbor's yard. I'm on the outside looking in. And I just don't feel like I'm part. Truth is, honestly, I'm out. I'm out of God's favor. I'm out of God's will. I don't even know if God likes me. I mean, the church really knew what was going on in my life. I don't know if they'd like me. I just feel like I'm out. You know, I'm missing out on life. I've ran out of close friends in which I can talk to when life gets hard. So I'm out. I'm out. It's kind of another way of saying that I'm alone, that I'm isolated. You know, there have been times in my life when I felt very alone, surrounded by people, surrounded by family, but still feel very much alone. You ever been there before? What's like, man, I just feel alone. I just feel, I feel isolated. Maybe people in this room right now, people are sitting around you, but the truth is you feel very alone. And some of the hardest times in our lives occurred when we felt alone, we felt isolated. Maybe you're going through a tough situation and you look around and there's nobody that you can confide in, there's nobody. Maybe you look around and something good happened, you got nobody to celebrate that with you because you just feel alone. And it's, it's funny because we live in a society that should be so connected, right? We've invented ways to connect. And yet we still often feel very alone, very forgotten. So God's desire for you is that you would never be alone. In fact, here's kind of the big idea for today, and then we're going to build from this, that we were created for connection, but we drift toward isolation. All right? We as people, believe it or not, we were created for connection, but the reality is our human nature pulls us. There's a drift toward isolation. Well, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. And so we have this thing of pulling away, and it's so common 
We see it happen in a married couple that was meant to be connected and then through a series of just stuff in life and maybe poor choices, we see two couples pull farther and farther away from each other and they live together but feel very alone and very isolated and very vulnerable. Maybe you grew up and you had a lot of friends and maybe a lot of those friends to live in this community, but yet when it comes to how you feel, you don't feel like you're in that group anymore. You feel very alone and very isolated, even with, when you're with friends. It's like, man, I just can't, I can't, I can't be open to them. I'm alone. So God created us for connection, and yet there's this tendency we have to drift toward isolation. And here's the thing. Isolation is not a good thing. Being alone Long periods of time or feeling alone is not a good thing. In fact, here's the question I would have for you. How fun would it be to play with one Lego block? Like, here, kid, have fun. Is one Lego block fun? No, all the parents in the house know how unfun one Lego block, (laughs) secretly hidden in the carpet, is the, the devil's tool at that point to bring all the foul words you didn't know you had inside of you out. It's never fun to play with one Lego block. And how long would that last, right? It's never fun to play with one puzzle piece when all the rest are missing. It's not fun to play with one monkey when you have a whole barrel of monkeys you could play with, right? There's so many toys that were created for connection. It's not good to be alone when we're meant to be connected. You know, this Lego brick is designed for connection. I mean, that's why it's got this stuff. It's not to kill our feet. It's actually to build with. And Genesis 2 talks about this. At the very beginning, when God created man, he said this, it's not good for the man to be alone. And this wasn't just about marriage. Yes, he was, he was creating a suitable helper for Adam named Eve, and, and God did that. Why? Because we are created for connection. We're created to be connected to our creator, and then we're connected to others in our life. We're meant to be relational people. It's not good for us to be alone. And then Solomon picks up on that idea in Ecclesiastes, which is a book that a lot of us maybe haven't even read. And if you did, you're like, what in the world is this guy's problem? I mean, it's like he's depressed or something. But listen to what he says. He comes across something very significant in well, all of Ecclesiastes. You've got to read it kind of in one setting to get the whole thing. But chapter 4, verse 9, listen. Two are better than one. I mean, you can just stop right there, but he doesn't. Because they have a good return for their labor. That means two bring back a better reward when you're working together. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. There are people that you may know loosely that have fallen and there's nobody there to help them. They got Nobody. They've worked themselves into isolation. They've burnt all their relational bridges, and they're alone. It goes on in verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, there's the danger of isolation. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You see, amazing things can actually happen when Legos get used the way they are created to be used. Here's just one example of what amazing things can happen when Legos get put together. Now, I didn't build this. Your pastor does not have that much time on his hands. But that is a Lego. That's all made from Lego bricks. That is a soccer stadium. And from the size of it, you kind of see people up there in the background. It is ginormous. 
It's amazing what can happen when Lego bricks get connected. Here's another example. Here's a full-sized car created from Lego pieces. It's amazing. One more. What happens when Legos connect to each other? See, I, I have this sense that God knows what he's doing when he made people to be connected because he knows that when we find that connection with our creator and then we find connection with each other, incredible things can happen. But the problem is nobody looks at the church, nobody looks at the community of believers who are connected and go, wow, that's awesome. Nobody's doing that today. They think we hate people. They, they, they think that we are just disconnected idiots who don't understand anything. How did we go from an organization of people, a body of believers who revolutionized the world, introduced medicine, school, all kinds of things? How did we become now so unconnected? Something's got to change. We're going to talk more about that over these next weeks. But Peter says it this way. In, two, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he talks about the amazing things actually that can happen when we choose to say, I'm in. And I want to get connected to God's community, to his mission, to the body of Christ, the church. Look what Peter says. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, or like Legos, all right, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, he looks at all of us, and he sees that we're meant for connection. And when we get connected under God's you know, relationship with him first and then with, with each other, we're built into a spiritual house. And that just sounds a kind of weird way to say it, but we're built into something significantly important. And you might think, but Kelly, I'm like that Lego piece that's like the little dot that... That kids lose all the time. That's me. I'm like a little Lego dot. I don't feel like I make a big difference in the Lego creation. Well, I'll tell you how much of a difference you make. My son and I scoured the carpet fabrics of his bedroom looking for that little piece of Lego that completed the creation. That's how important you are. It doesn't matter what size of Lego brick you have, you're meant to be connected. And when you are connected, like Peter said, and you're built into the family of God and the community of faith, we become something that honors and pleases God. So when you decide, I'm in, it doesn't just benefit the community of believers. It doesn't just benefit the church to say, hey, I'm in. It benefits your life as well. And we're going to look at that a little more as we go into Psalms here in a moment. But isn't it true that your worst decisions in life were done in isolation? Man left to himself will always make bad decisions. As a chaplain for Albany Police Department, I see people make very bad decisions in isolation. People feel alone, nobody cares, they take their life. I see very bad decisions when people get isolated. But the truth is, this isn't how we're created. We're meant for connection, but we make our worst decisions in life in isolation. When nobody's around, we make those decisions. And chances are, if you had been connected to people who cared 
and you had a, a community of, of men or women that you could just kind of be involved in, chances are you may have stepped away from that ledge of your worst decision because somebody was there to encourage you and support you and call you on it. But left alone, we make our worst decisions. In fact, Hebrews 3 talks about that. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Now, here's the deal. He's talking to the church, but he's saying, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So how do we stop that? Encourage. But encourage one another. That means you've got to be in close proximity to another to encourage one another, right? So you're in community. Daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, Paul, well, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, but Paul speaks about this too in his letters. He was speaking to a generation that could die for their faith. So once a person became a believer in Jesus, became a Christian, part of the movement called the Way, the Roman Empire one was hunting for your head, basically. They were persecuting Christians. They needed to encourage each other daily because it was so easy to pull away from the faith and succumb to culture. And friends, today is very much a reality as well. It's such a pull from our culture to walk away from community when we desperately need it to encourage each other. David, King David of the Old Testament, many of you know him. He knows what it's like to make your worst decision in isolation. I mean, think about it. David was at that point in his life, it was, called, it was spring when he was supposed to go off to war with his army, but he stayed behind. He was, in his, he was in his palace. He was up on the balcony of his palace looking out, and he saw Bathsheba. And in isolation, he made the worst decision of his life that led to a series of worst decisions in David's life. And it had consequences. In isolation, David made really bad decisions, even though he was known as the man after God's own heart. But David also understands the value and the blessing of connection. Now, obviously, King David predates the birth of the church. That We see that in the book of Acts, and David is Old Testament. But can I tell you that community is not a new thing? Community wasn't birthed around the birth of the church in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Community has always been God's plan. I mean, think about it. He called one man, Abraham, and out of him created what? A nation that would be a community in which he would, he would dwell with the people of Israel. He was looking for a community who would come together, live in community with each other, and then worship God. And so David speaks about this in Psalm 92. This was called the Psalm of the Sabbath. So David was a songwriter, right? He was also a king, and he wrote a song about the Sabbath. These would be songs they would sing on their way to worship. Look at what he says in Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. A couple of words there. Anytime the Bible repeats a word, you need to underline it or mark it because it means something. In this passage, we see flourish used twice. We'll come back to that. Also in Psalm 52, a psalm that he wrote actually when he was fleeing from King Saul who was trying to kill him. So before David became king, he was on the run. Saul was trying to kill him because David was the next anointed king of Israel. But even on the run, when life seemed to be against him, look at what he dwells and what he thinks about. I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. Was he literally in the house of God? No, he was in a cave maybe or on the run. But he recognizes this visual picture. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you where? 
in the presence of your faithful people. This is community. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Now, here's what's interesting. Both of these passages, Psalm 92, 52, they use this word flourish. Now, chances are you haven't used flourish like today or last week or even last year. But what does it mean, right? I mean, I've heard the word flourish, but it's like, how many know we use words and don't really know what they mean? So I looked it up. I looked it up in the dictionary, and I was blown away by the definition because I thought, wow, this is like the perfect word to use what David was talking about. Here's what it says in the dictionary. To flourish means to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. So for example, you have a greenhouse and you plant things and you place them in the greenhouse, it tends to flourish there, right? Why? Because the greenhouse has all the elements that help that, it has the environment that helps that plant grow, especially here in Oregon where our weather varies so much, right? And so it helps it to flourish. It's an ideal environment. And I look at what David's talking about and he's saying community The house of God, planted in the courts of our God, community with other people, that's where I flourish. It becomes a favorable environment. When's the last time we considered the community of faith, the church, to be a favorable environment? Not often. Some of you had bad experiences, again, with a church. I was like, if that's favorable, that's not the kind of favor I want. But David is saying when believers come together, now this, again, this predates the church, but once believers in God come together to worship God, and when we're planted in that kind of thing, we flourish. It's a favorable environment where I will grow healthy and vigorous. Some of you would say, I don't think I'm flourishing today. Maybe you feel like you're stagnant or dormant. Maybe you're just flat out malnourished and you don't feel like you're growing at all. Maybe you believe in God, but you wouldn't use the word flourish to, to describe the way you feel today. You would say, I'm rather dry and about to die. But how many want to flourish, right? How many want your marriage to flourish? How many want your kids to flourish? How many want financially to flourish? How many want to see God's blessing in your life? I know this sounds so pie in the sky, but listen, David's on to something when he says, When we're planted in community with God's people in God's presence, flourishing will happen. And he uses three great examples of trees. He uses the palm tree, cedar tree, and olive tree. Let's break these down. The cedar tree, how many of you, I mean, obviously here in Oregon, we probably have seen or smelt cedar. I mean, it's kind of around us, right? But cedar is an interesting kind of, I mean, he could have used any trees. I mean, because there's lots of other trees that he could have used. But he chose to use cedar. When he's talking about, about being planted and flourishing, he uses the cedars of Lebanon, which were known to be a durable, strong tree. What is it about cedars? Cedars are known for their durability. They're pleasant to look at. They're also pleasant to smell. Many of you maybe have a cedar chest or something made of cedar, and you enjoy the smell of that. It was used by King David to build his palace. It was used by Solomon to build the temple. It was an, an enduring wood. In fact, that's why they used it, because it would, they would hope these structures would last for centuries, so they used that. They used cedar to prove its durability. It would, it would last a long time. But cedar also is pleasant to smell and look at. 
When my wife graduated from high school, her grandfather uh, made her a wardrobe. It was a portable wardrobe kind of closet, and it was uh, one of the main wardrobe area was lined in cedar. And you open that door, and you just smell the rich smell of cedar. Many of you probably have that. It's a pleasing. He's saying that when we are together in community, it's like a cedar. It's durable. It lasts. How many want a life that lasts and is durable, right? We face a lot of stuff. I need durability, but it's also pleasant. He goes on to say it's like a palm tree. Now, we don't have many of those around here, but palm trees were a sign of victory. They were also a sign of peace and eternal life. In the Corinthian Olympics, so this is, Olympics has been around a long time, friends. In the Corinthian Olympics, the person who won the race was presented a palm branch. And that was the equivalent of a gold medal. Now, some of you are going, I'd rather have the gold medal <laughs> than a palm branch. But it was a sign of victory. When Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday, we call it Palm Sunday because palms were involved. When he rode in Jerusalem that day and the people hailed him as king, they waved palm branches. And it was a sign of here comes our triumphant king coming in for victory and to bring peace. And that's why Jesus came in a spiritual way to give us victory over sin and give us peace with God. So it's a sign of victory and peace. How many would you feel like, you know, I'm a palm tree in the house of God because my life is a testimony of victory and triumph and peace. Then he uses the olive tree. I like olives. Olives are wonderful. I think they're God's wonderful fruit. Olives were trees that were known to last hundreds of years. Olive trees last a long time. In fact, you can still go to an olive grove outside of Jerusalem where they anticipate that might have been where Jesus had prayed. Um, his, his prayer before he was arrested. And there's this, these trees are ancient. They last a long time, but they're also fruitful. They produce food and fuel. One olive tree produces about six gallons of oil a year. How many of you love olives? How many of you still put them on your fingers and eat off your fingers, the olives, right? I mean, where'd we learn that, by the way? I don't remember doing a class with my kids our very first Thanksgiving. Okay, kids, look. God's given you five fingers, for a very specific purpose. <laughs> you always wonder why those were there. It's to hold olives until you eat them. Like, where did we learn that, right? But it's food, and it's good, and it's pleasant. It's an olive tree. These are great examples that he uses. It's productive. So who will flourish? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God like a cedar, like an olive, like a palm tree. Then it goes on in Psalm 92, verse 14. They will still bear fruit in old age. Some of you older folks are like, well, that doesn't make me feel very comfortable. But they will still bear fruit in old age. In other words, there's no shelf life to your purpose or productivity in the work of God. There's no retirement plan when God's kingdom is concerned. They will bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. There's that evergreen sense like those trees are. Proclaiming the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. See, Psalm 92 shows us the blessing, the benefits of those who are planted in the house of the Lord, bearing fruit even into older ages. They're green, they're fresh, they're proclaiming the Lord is upright, he's my rock. So why is it important to stay planted in the community of God, the fellowship of believers? It's because it's, that's where we flourish. One of the greatest problems I think we have in the, in the Christian movement today is people who don't stay planted. What we have is a lot of people, and, and I'm, I'm going to look down, because I'm not, I'm not pointing at anybody, all right? I'm just going to talk for a second. 
but we have people that church hop and they don't plant. They just keep looking for the perfect church. And here's, here's my advice. We're not a perfect church. You're not going to find a perfect church. Because the very essence of you trying to find a perfect church means you're looking for something that you get out of it. And the last time I checked, church wasn't about you alone. It was about he's got a mission he wants to do in this world, and it's full of broken, imperfect people. And yes, you will get hurt in church just like you will get hurt at the workplace or the gym because we're flawed people. There's no perfect church. But there's a difference when I choose to get planted in the house of the Lord. And I begin to learn people's names, and I begin to know God has a purpose for me. And it's not just to sit in a, in a seat on Sunday and come to church, but actually he wants me to get connected to other people. And when we do that, something happens. How many of you would ever go to, and especially not as much as they cost, but you go to Lowe's and maybe you buy a nice, beautiful plant, and you Get it home and you take it out of the bucket it's in because you don't plant it in the bucket, right? You guys know that. Some of you are like, you, you don't? I just, that's why it's not growing. All right, so you take it, you unbundle the root system a bit. And what if you just never replanted that plant at all? Because you liked the way the roots looked. You just, you know, what if you never planted it? How long is that thing going to last? Not long. It's meant to be planted. It's meant to be connected, but the problem we have a lot in, with Christians today is just kind of not planting anywhere, just kind of hopping around. The problem is you, you uproot you, your kids, your grandkids from place to place to place, and you wonder why you're going through hell and high water. It's because you're not planted, and you have nobody to encourage you and to be there for you. You're just hopping around. Your roots are not connecting, and you will not flourish. Another great problem we have then in the movement is people not committed to engaging into the life and ministry of the church. And we'll talk more about that in weeks to come when you're saying, I'm invested. I'm in, I'm invested. Hebrews 10, 24 tells, tells us this way. Let us encourage how we may spur or consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And that habit is, has grown. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not give up meeting together. Um, you know, when I was a kid, and, I, and again, I'm, I want you to understand contextually here, I'm not just talking about getting your gold star for faithful church attendance, okay? Don't, don't make that the point. But when I was a kid, people went to church weekly because you knew people and you connected and you felt like you were missed and they missed you from serving if you weren't there. And today, faithful church attendance is twice a month. That means two of those were uprooted somewhere. And I know it's not about being in the building, but it's about being in community. If you're not in a life group and if you're not connecting on a regular basis here with the body of believers, then you're uprooting. You're not connecting. You keep jerking yourself up and out of the ground, and you're not growing. That's what happens. That's what he's saying. Don't do that. You need each other. You need to spur each other on toward love and good deeds to encourage each other to gather together. That's where we grow because those who are planted in the house of the Lord are the ones who flourish. So here's some points, and we'll wrap it up. Those who are planted are those who flourish. I think we've already made that pretty obvious, but those who are planted are the ones who flourish. I want you to pretend for a second that your life is like a seed. When you look at a seed, you're looking at something that has incredible potential. Because you put that thing in the ground, in the right environment, it grows, and then it has the ability to actually reproduce itself over and over and over and over again, right? So that one seed looks like nothing, but you put it in the ground, it releases its potential. 
that's planted and it begins to take root and grow. Now, I have some seeds sitting in my garage in a bag, and they have done nothing. The last five years, they've sat on the shelf in my garage. They have done nothing. I go there, poop, there's still seeds. Why? Because they are lying dormant. They weren't planted. But I choose to plant those babies, something's going to happen. Because within each of those seeds, there is a potential for something greater. So back to the Lego block. You might not feel like your seed is much, but you plant it into the soil along with others. What happens? It grows together and creates a wonderful garden, something beneficial that reproduces itself over and over and over again. And Jesus talked about that. In fact, there's, here's a, a parable he said, but we'll get there in a minute. But he was basically saying this, that a seed can only grow if it's planted. Grr, right? This is like... AG 101, a seed can only plant if it's, or grow if it's planted. So Jesus tells this parable of the what? Of the soils. Where you got a farmer casting out seed, and as he's casting a seed, it lands in various types of soil. There was a hard path where everybody walked, and the seed that landed there didn't take any, didn't go into the soil at all. It just stayed on top of the surface, and the birds picked it, ate it, and it was gone. There was the, so, the seed that went into the, the shallow rocky area where it grew quickly, but it died because it didn't have roots that could go down deep and get the nutrition that it needed. One of those went among the weeds, and it grew up with the weeds, and the weeds choked its life out of it. But there was the one that landed in the good soil. It multiplied 30, 60, 100 times. What was the point of Jesus' parable? It's all about the soil. A seed can only grow if it's planted And we need to be the kind of people who say, I'm in. I have a heart that says I'm in. And when that's planted in me and I'm connected, I will flourish. And I will reproduce and I will multiply. You grow when and where you're planted. So are you planted in a faith community? Is it neighborhood church or wherever it is? Are you planted? Because that's where you grow. That's where you flourish. And here's the next point. Going to church isn't the same as being planted. So going to church is not the same as being planted. And I know a lot of people say, go to church, go to church, go to church. It is National Back to Church Sunday, so go to church, go to church. I get it. It's a great statement, but it's so shallow it needs to be mined a bit more. So that's what we're going to do just here for a minute. There's a real difference between being planted and going to church. And Scripture never commands us to, that those who go to church will flourish. It never tells you that. You can go to church and still go to hell, okay? I'm just being honest. Because the building doesn't save you. You don't walk in like a car wash and go, oh, look at that. It's all taken care of. Guess I'm good for another week. Okay? It doesn't do anything to save your soul. That's the work of Christ. We come in, we find community. We get planted. Some people go to church like they go to the movies or they go to a game or they go to the show or go to the gym or, or they go to the dentist, Right? Just going somewhere, taking up space in a building or a place, and I'm consuming. I'm getting something I need taken care of, and then I walk away from it. See, that's never what Jesus had in mind. In fact, when it came to what Jesus was thinking, you don't go to church and then leave church. Because when he was talking about church, when he told Peter, because Peter said, you know, something pretty cool about Jesus, and he's like, that's right, and upon that testimony of who I am, I'm going to build my church. What was Jesus talking about, right? The word is ecclesia. That's the word we use for church, okay? But ecclesia was never translated church. In fact, there were Christians back during the pre-Reformation days who actually died 
when they used the word gathering instead of church because the Roman Catholic Church wanted you to know it was all about going to the box. That was never the plan. Ecclesia was the word Jesus used, and what it means is a gathering. It's a gathering of called out people. It's a gathering, not a building. Now, we, need, we gather in buildings now. That's wonderful. But the book of Acts, they didn't gather in a church. They gathered in homes. They gathered in temple courts. They gathered wherever they could find a space to gather because it wasn't about a building. It was about people. It was about community. So when we think church, you got to think community that were called out. So here's something that might sound strange to you at first, but just kind of hang with me. Church was not designed to be a place you go. Okay? Now don't lift that quote from today's message and, and say, proof that I don't need to go to church. All right, listen. Church was not designed to be a place that you go, as in a destination. In fact, Jesus never intended you to just go to church. All right? So I love that song we played earlier. I want to go to church, but that's my point that I kind of, I get it. What he was talking about was the more important stuff. You know, where people know me, and I can, you know, they see me at my worst, and yet they still love me. That's community, not a building, right? Buildings don't love you. Sorry. Buildings don't love you, but communities do. So church wasn't meant to be a place to which you go. It was designed to be a community in which you grow. That is what we need to hear today. That's like, that's like, that's your take home. That's your one take home today, and that's all you got to worry about writing down. The church wasn't meant to be a place to which you go. It was designed to be a community in which you grow. And community means we need each other. And that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So he talks about the church. He doesn't use a building. He uses a body because the need for each other and a sense of harmony, community, okay? From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is a beautiful picture of community, what God had in mind when the church was birthed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. It was this. It was people coming together to study God's word, to grow, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to encourage one another, then to, to use your gifts within the church and within God's mission to grow yourself as you serve. And then it was not just to end there where we all felt good about being used by God in the church. It was meant to go outside and that's what the church did. That's why in the book of Acts, you see the church explode with growth. It wasn't because they gathered and said, hey, we need each other just to make it through the week. Let's pray. Okay, and let's go back to our life. They lived in community. Because as we grow, as we flourish, as we're strengthened, the end goal is not just to stop there and say, doesn't this feel good? But it's to reach the world. And that's what the people did in the book of Acts. And that's why we have churches still today. Because that worked, and then we messed it up. We made it all about buildings and gathering and sitting and enduring and then leaving. And that wasn't what Jesus had in mind. The church, the community of believers, are acting to the world and make a difference in the world. It's not about us. We, the church does not exist for you, okay? The church exists for the world. Community exists for each other. There's a big difference between going to a building and then being plugged into a movement, calling a community of believers. And then finally, when you're planted, your roots grow deep. When you're planted, your roots grow deep. Jeremiah, uh, in the Old Testament, wrote 
uh, on behalf of the Lord, about the righteous. And he says this, that they will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. I love the fact that a lot of the Bible writers used very agricultural pictures because that's a great word picture. So here we have a tree that's roots go down by the stream. And so no matter what happens on the surface, heat, Drought doesn't matter. The roots are connected to a source that will continue to bring nutrition to that tree and it will survive. In other words, I don't have to worry about surface problems because when my roots are set, I'm connected. And when I'm connected to others as well, then we're going to make it through this okay. In fact, think about redwoods for a minute. Have you been to the redwood forest before or seen redwoods? It's incredible. How does a tree like that grow to be like 30 stories high and then wide enough to like drive your car through, right? How does that happen? You'd be thinking, man, those roots go way down into the ground. No, they don't. It's interesting about redwoods, what they do. Rather than going down deep, and they go down, but not that deep. What they do is they actually grow outward about 100 feet around their trunk. And what they do is they grow into the other root system next to them. So it's kind of like all these trees underground begin to hold hands and their roots intertwine. Here's a picture. kind of shows you what happens. And as the roots go down and out, they begin to latch on to each other. And then when a significant storm comes against the redwoods, what are they doing? They're hanging on to each other. Like, no one's going to fall here. We got each other. But you got poor, one poor redwood way out all by itself, no place to connect its roots. It's vulnerable. It's isolated. It's alone. We need each other. That's kind of the beauty of the redwood forest. It's a, it's a demonstration that we really do need each other. See, the devil doesn't care if you just go to church. He doesn't, he doesn't worry. Oh, he went to church today. What worries him is when you take it seriously and say, I'm in. I'm connected to a community of faith in which I can plant and grow and thrive under God's grace and I can begin to do something incredible with the community of other Lego bricks. Because God's mission is always bigger than you. And when you're planted, you produce fruit. Jeremiah ends it with this. They won't worry in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. How fruitful is your life right now? I mean, Paul gives some clarity. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You look at those and go, man, are those in my life? Because if I don't have those kinds of things like with my kids and my spouse, coworker, that annoying neighbor, if I don't feel those, right at the surface, then maybe there's a planting issue here. Maybe I'm not rooted like I should be. You see, there are five things that a tree needs to flourish, and we all know this. It needs soil, light, water, temperature, and time. We talked about today is being planted in the house of God. It takes good soil, your heart, saying, yes, I'm in. I'm in, God. I want to be in the community of faith where I can plant and be in good soil and in good company. So it takes good soil. It takes light. And Jesus tells us the word of God is like a light, right? In fact, the Psalms say that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It takes water. Who is Jesus? He tells the woman at the well, I'm the living water. 
I'm the living water. The way it takes temperature. Well, the fire of the Holy Spirit within our hearts warms that seed and it begins to grow and then it takes time. So here's a question for us Oregonians. When, when's the best time to plant a tree? And the answer is 20 years ago. Right? I mean, seriously, it takes time. So when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Because otherwise all you have is, okay, you guys get it, right? So when is the best time for you to be planted in the house of the Lord? 20 years ago? Possibly. When's the next best time? Today. Now. Now. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about, you know, an obligation to be someplace on Sunday. I'm talking about a community of faith where you know and you are known. And many of us don't have that. You come to church, you leave church, but there is no community. And so when life gets hard and drought comes and heat rises, you got nobody. Because you're not planted. How do you get planted? You get involved in community. How do you do that? Not by sitting in rows on Sunday like this. This is where we hear the word of God and we worship the Lord. Community happens in small groups, in small gatherings, where you know somebody and they know you. And the thing is, a lot of you are missing that. You got a small group of friends, but they're not encouraging you to go the way God wants you to go. So you need community. And this is where we need your help. Because if you're going to say, I'm in, then you have to have a place to be in at, all right? So we need some life groups who will say, we're going to do this. We're in. I'll lead a life group or I'll host one at my house or at the coffee shop or at this restaurant on, on certain time in the morning. I'm, I, I want to get around tables with people because you build community in circles, not lines. So I'm in. I want to be in. It all starts by simply making that statement. Let's pray. Lord, we each take a look at our own lives. And maybe right now, there are, honestly, there are folks in here that feel very much alone, surrounded by people in this room, but very much alone. Maybe living in a very full house, but alone. And isolation is a very scary thing because you have never created for us to be alone. You've created us to be connected, but we drift toward isolation. So I pray for any of those who are drifting. Maybe it's time to return. And I pray you'd speak to their heart that they would just say, I'm in. I don't know all the answers. I, I know no place is perfect, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in. I want to give this a shot. I believe that if I plant in the house of the Lord, if I plant in the community of faith, that's where I'll flourish. And I'll grow. And because of that, my family, my marriage, my kids can also grow because we're being encouraged in community. I pray for those maybe who don't even feel connected at all right now. Maybe you're not even sure you're right with God. And if God was thinking about you, it certainly wasn't thoughts of love and compassion and grace. But he does. He loves you. And what he's saying is, are you in? Because through his son Jesus, he's opened the door. And you're welcome to come in. In fact, if anybody's here this morning with our heads bowed or eyes closed, you're saying, Kelly... I know the next best step for me right now is to say I'm in when it comes to dedicating my life to Christ. I, I'm in. I, the things I've tried have been failing. But I need Jesus. I need forgiveness that comes, that reckless love we sing about, that amazing grace. If you're here and that's you, just raise a hand and say, Kelly, that's me. Pray with me today.
I need that. Anybody else? I need that today, Kelly. Thank you. Anybody else? Lord, we pray. We stop and pray right now, Lord, for those that know they need to commit to you. And it's not when they get good enough or clean enough that they're going to commit to you. No, thank you that right now in their brokenness, in their sin, you love them and you accept them by faith as they confess their need of you. We've all been at that point in our life as followers of Christ where we knew that our brokenness wasn't going to fix anything. So thank you, Lord, for your grace that said, I love you in your brokenness and I invite you into relationship through my son, Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that through you there is forgiveness and there is newness of life and there is an ability to flourish spiritually in you. So I invite you to be my Lord and Savior right now, right in this moment. Maybe for others, you're in the room today and you've been going to church, but you've not been invested. You've been going to church, but you're not engaged. You've been going, but you're not planted. Maybe this is a string of other churches that you've tried. My prayer is that you would get planted. And if you're here today and and you just feel challenged, that it's time to plant in community. Just raise your hand and say, Kelly, I think you're speaking my language. Things are not going great. We're getting so busy with life and stuff that we're just not planted. But I'm going to make a commitment before God to plant. Just raise a hand if that's you and say, I'm making that commitment today to plant. Thanks, Lord. Thank you for those that you are challenging right now. The church isn't a thing we check off and go to. You're calling us to community. You're calling us to be there for each other. And Lord, forgive us for how we have failed so often in doing that. The church has often become a mockery, and rightly so, because we haven't loved. We haven't been there for each other. We haven't been a source of hope for our community. But we want to be in today to make it different. In Jesus' name, amen.